Shut up and sit down. Uh, I am a, a radical libertarian. And we don't want the government to do a damn thing. The current state of politics is unsustainable. Politically, economically. You deserve better. It is about supporting, platforming, and, and assisting the people who are out here actually doing the fight. You just take an issue that's important to you and do something. There you go. You are part of that declaration against tyranny. Because no one brings tear gas to a gunfight. This conversation gives me a little more hope for the future. The one, the only. Fight for liberty. This is the cherry on top. This is FSM. Hello, fighters. Welcome back to Fight for Liberty Live. I'm your host, David Fight, here to get you fired up about the men and women out here making the world a freer and better place through politics, activism, business, and more. We are here live on Free Speech Media Network. If you are watching this on YouTube, uh, if it's live, live, we're just to YouTube this tonight. But if you're watching the replay on YouTube or something like that, go on over to Rumble. They pay us a little bit better. They keep our stuff up longer. They're less likely to deplatform us. So go on over. If you're watching this replay, watch it on Rumble. The uh, link is in the description to all of the other different networks. Uh, tonight, I am joined by a hilarious comic from the Great White North. But first, we're going to get a quick word from our sponsors. First up, you know them, you love them. Blood of Tyrants Wine, the official spirit of 1776. If you're looking for a nice night in while also sipping on the blood of your enemies and taking down the tyrannical state, look no further than Blood of Tyrants Wine. You can choose between a Merlot or Pinot Grigio, both distributed by activists you know and love. Bloodoftyrants.wine is the place to go. And if you go on over there and use promo code FSM, you'll get 10% off your first order and help support the show and the network and other people you like. Uh, and if you're needing a little bit more energy to get out there and fight the state. They just put out a new energy tea. Uh, it's got about a little over 100 milligrams of caffeine per can, so a little bit more than a coffee, a little less than your normal energy drink uh, to kind of give you that extra boost you need in the morning. Uh, so go on over bloodoftyrants.wine to check all of that out. We've also got our newest sponsor, uh, My Arcit. If you don't just save your pictures where they are at risk of being censored, deleted, or lost. MyArcit gives you security and privacy at a great price while telling the whole story in your own voice and writing. Unlike a typical cloud backup where you just dump all of your random pictures, MyArcit has you upload one full memory at a time. A picture or short video post with text and or audio captions create a timeline that makes going back through your memories an easy and pleasant experience for you and your loved ones. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial to see what the craze is all about. No payment necessary. This is actually just a true free trial. So go on over to MyArcit.com. And again, if you use promo code FSM, you're going to get 10% off your purchase. You can sign up for a personal account to save your life forever. Or have a, if you have an important event coming up, you can create an event account, which will let attendees add photos and videos for you and other admins to go through later and create a beautiful digital album for your upcoming wedding, convention, graduation, or shower. Again, this is all over at myarket.com and use promo code FSM to save 10% when you sign up. Without further ado, joining the fight tonight, we have co-host of the fight stories podcast co-founder of decentral comedy and stand-up comedian 
Mr. Tyler Morrison, welcome to the show, good sir. Oh man, I muted myself on Zoom. You didn't hear that at all. <laughs> no, no, I was waiting for uh, <laughs> my bad. Accounting. I uh, I forgot that I muted myself on Zoom during the intro, so you didn't. Did they hear you at all in the intro? They or? They, they could hear me definitely. <laughs> I was just muted to you. Um, Tyler, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, yeah, no problem. It's nice to be here at this rinky-dink Mickey Mouse Dog and Pony Act. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it is uh, it is just going to be a technological difficulties day, I guess. Um, it was at work good. all day, but hopefully, hopefully that was the end of it for the show. Uh, so I always <laughs> like to start off with a little bit of a testimonial question. So I'm curious, uh, when did you realize you were funny? I mean, I think early on it was other people realized I was a little different with my sense of humor when I was a kid. So I think a third grade teacher was like called my parents aside and and you know basically told them your kid's a little off. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the stuff that he's writing and drawing in classes, like you know, it's it's a little bit darker and but it is funny. So they kind of identified that early, and I was I was always into writing, and I'd write. Um, I I, lo I loved David Letterman when I was a kid. I used mm. to write my own like David Letterman top ten list, and just I thought that was so funny. And I'd like figure out I figured out joke structure early on, and then from there it was just you know roasting my friends. And you know Adam Sandler came along, and I heard the you know the, his albums, the, what the hell happened to me, and they're all gonna laugh at you. And those were total game changers as a kid, mm. being like seven you know in seventh grade and. And just hearing the uh, some of the stuff he was doing, those are classic albums. You know, the album everyone has that that comedy album that uh, you know you don't want your parents to hear, and you you listen you listen to it with your friends. It's almost like contraband. Those albums were like that for me when I was a kid. And then I, as I got a bit older, I gra you know gravitated into stand up comedy, watching uh, Andrew Dice Clay, Eddie Murphy. Those mm. those were huge for me. Oh, yeah. uh, Eddie Murphy, Raw, and Dice Clay. Um, one night uh, guaranteed to offend. I think it was called okay. the one from Philadelphia, even before the Dice Man cometh. And and those are great. Both of those. I lo I love everything. I love Dice Clay. He's, <laughs> he's he was a menace. Mm. It's funny you mentioned the like the like, contraband kind of thing because I I basically I had a very similar feeling uh, when I first got my first couple of like stand up albums on my mp3 player but it's funny because my dad's the reason that they were there i let him borrow it for uh he went on like a work <laughs> trip and uh so i i let him borrow it on the condition that he would put a bunch of music on it and then leave it there because he was the only yeah. one with limeware on his computer we weren't allowed to like you know give our computers aids and so <laughs> he forgot to take off some of the stuff that he meant to and so there was a few music albums on there that like he definitely didn't mean for like nine-year-old me to find but then there was also like <laughs> eddie murphy's delirious a couple of ron white albums uh, and a bunch of like royal canadian air farce which i had never All heard of before and yeah i was just sitting there listening to like that's how I learned what the word faggot actually meant. Like that it meant that it was a slang term for that was Eddie Murphy, and I, I was like in like <laughs> third grade, and 
sheltered kids. So I'm going around teaching my kids le- or my friends like swear words and stuff <laughs> that my parents are like, where the did you hear that? I'm like, that's hilarious. Shit, dad so, left on my MP3 player. Not my fault. So you found these these albums on there, and Royal Canadian Air Force is an interesting choice. Is your is your dad Canadian by chance? Does he? Nope. Oh really? Because it was a yeah, it's a, it's a very Canadian show, but they were funny back in the day, and uh, but super. They're a little bit more. They're on the cleaner side. Mm-hmm. For, like I'm from Canada, so like I live up uh, north of Toronto, so that's the um, you know we grew up with that on on CBC every week. We you know you'd see the Air Force and yeah they were mm-hmm. they were a staple in Canada, but you don't hear that very you don't hear very many uh, Americans knowing what royal canadian air force is so i think that's kind of cool that's <laughs> yeah i don't know if just because uh, like they're my parents are from buffalo so it's not yeah. that far i wonder if that was just yeah. one of the things that kind of just barely made it over the border but yeah he they might have got cbc in buffalo yeah that's true um right because it's pretty close to toronto yeah um but yeah that was that was actually one of the things that got me into kind of that idea of sketch comedy was was mm-hmm. their stuff that my dad originally showed me because i was i was watching that stuff long before i was watching like snl or anything like american <laughs> in that area because i wasn't allowed to watch snl growing up where like you're oh, really? saying royal canadian air force a little bit on the cleaner side you know they're not um and and it's also not quite like pop culture where i wouldn't have gotten it like SNL because mm. I was still fairly sheltered. And so I wouldn't have gotten all these like, you know, Janet Jackson jokes or something like that. Cause I'm just no idea what's going on here. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. When I got into, to uh, comedy, it was, it was a really good time. I mean, Norm Macdonald was the uh, anchor on weekend update. So that like all these things were, were kind of happening and, and Canadians were very, very successful at the time in, in comedy with like Tom Green was blowing up you know, when I was in high school. So you see these guys and it's not too far removed from, you know, they're not too far removed from where I'm from. They came up in the same kind of uh, scenes that, you know, that I ended up, you know, and I still travel in and, and uh, do comedy. And so it's, it's kind of cool. Um, especially at that time. I mean, Canadians right now are, are doing very well in comedy too, but mm-hmm. as a kid to see, wow, this guy's not, he's from not too far away from me and he's, killing it in america that's a an inspirational thing to um you know to be able to witness yeah i feel like you guys just the build up that like you know because there's that trope of like a hard life makes a better comedian and i think there's there's something about like canadian and australian comics specifically that i just personally fucking (laughs) love and i think there's just something (laughs) about like when you when you live through that much cold, you just kind of have to build up that like that's the only thing. Or that, heat in Australia, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's just like when you're just fucked by the by the elements for long enough, you have to figure out a way to get around it, and that's comedy. <laughs> yeah, you have to get through the through those uh, those months. It's it gets pretty pretty cold up here for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's not igloos where I live, but it is pretty fucking cold yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm trying to get uh, i've lived so close to canada my entire life i've been trying to get south and every time i move south it lasts for like less than a year and by the next winter i'm back up here in the blizzards I'm like, 
fuck. I mean, Buffalo. Yeah, you get it in Buffalo. It's not much different. Where you live, you're not too far from from where I am. I mean, like I'm two hours north of Toronto. We're in a, a snow belt, so we get more snow than than Toronto does. But I mean, yeah, Buffalo is no- notorious for for blizzards. Yeah, yeah. I'm just watch a football game. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've been to I've been to a few uh, Bills games and always later on in the season so like right about now and it, it was brutal it was like uh actually both times it was like birthday present tickets my birthday's in late december so it's like i i don't want no please don't don't make me do this <laughs> uh so what inspired you to actually turn the comedy into a career and make it uh you know a, a life yeah again it was uh it was one another one of my teachers in school he wrote on one of my report cards that like one day i should be writing for the tonight show and i was like oh you can do this for a living this that's kind of cool and so i when i saw that that kind of just jolted me and i and i started uh kind of gearing myself towards figuring out what i want to do and in canada in toronto there's actually a college uh, course which is like it's called the Humber College Comedy Program, and you can go there, and it's a whole bunch of people who are people who want to do comedy, and um, it turns out a whole bunch of wicked comics. Uh, it's it's sort of like a vacuum of creative people who you know you go and they they have all different like acting, uh, sketch comedy, writing for TV, all these different courses. They do have a stand up course, but I mean. It's more. It was more beneficial to me to learn about the business of stand-up comedy because it's like mm. a weird career if you're coming from the outside. Like, how do you even get into that? Yeah. And you kind of do find out how to do that. Within a week, I was performing at the Yuck Yucks Comedy Club in Toronto in front of 300 people when I was 18. Wow. Just the first time I ever did stand-up was like sold out at the biggest comedy club in the country. And it was insane. So to get to do that, you know, get thrown right into the fire. And some of the comedians have come out of this program are you probably be familiar with some of them i don't know if you've seen uh steph tolev but she's getting really popular right now she opens for bill burr was just on his in his movie um the old dad's movie on netflix mm, okay and then um uh nathan fielder from nathan for you mm-hmm. on uh, comedy central like, i mean these are some of the comics that came out of that program oh, they're wow. a year after me or two years after but um yeah it's it's uh it's just a cool place for I, I found it was good for someone who didn't live in the city because I grew up in a small town to move to the city and then all of a sudden you're around all these like-minded people that are you know also wanting to be in your your field you you find you, I'm friends with like some of these people still to this day um nice. it, it was a cool kind of like x-men school for comedy <laughs> that's really which cool. is <laughs> just a bunch of meatheads <laughs> That's that's really awesome because yeah, it definitely it's always been something that I've seen as kind of a, a a weird hurdle to jump, like you mentioned, of just just how do you even start? Like where do you where do yeah. you go? Do you just like start calling up comedy clubs? Like hey, I promise I'm funny. Like <laughs> yeah, there's usually open mics at uh, you know open mic comedy shows. If you look in your whatever your local guides, they usually get listed. Um, and then usually the comedy club, if it's any good, they usually have an open mic night, amateur night, which is a good way to get on. But they're, you know, the clubs, it's usually so competitive to get on the open mic night that you got to try and find the other open mics in the city at, you know, little 
bars and and maybe like smaller clubs and stuff like that to um just to get the stage time that you're going to need when you start out when you start out you have to go on stage hundreds of times just to even get comfortable to build that base of of um just finding who you are on stage and and being just you got to learn how to get laughs first and then you can learn how to get the laughs you want to get mm. if that makes sense yeah if you you just have to know that the, you're gonna get you get laughs the entire time, and then you can start figuring out. Okay, that's kind of a hacky joke. I'm gonna that was just a placeholder. I'm gonna write something that's more true to me here, and then you can start moving in the pieces of who you are. Did you did you do a lot of that? That just I've a, a trope that I've seen just watching stuff is like that kind of those those free applause where you're just like how's everybody doing tonight kind of stuff and it's you know just kind of thrown in there to get the energy back up when you're not doing you, you need to do that still <laughs> <laughs> like, i've been doing this 20 years you still gotta get, you know manufacture your own energy sometimes if if the crowd's not into your openers or or whatever like yeah mm -hmm. sometimes you just kind of like throw it throw out a little line but it is funny when you see guys having to do it three four times just to you know, get them going, especially if their jokes are sucking. Mm. <laughs> I love seeing that. I love when it happens to me. I mean, well, Joe Coy could have used some of that uh, the other night at the Golden Globes. <laughs> I heard. Poor Joe had a had a tough go. I mean, <laughs> I always thought, <laughs> I always thought Joe Coy was Middle Eastern until I saw him how shitty he was at wearing a bomb the other night. <laughs> He threw his writers under the bus so fucking fast. That was sad. Oh I mean, God. it's one thing. Like, listen, I got no problem with Joe Coy. I never even met him personally or anything like that. But And he's a funny comic and super successful. And he's got more fans than I do for now. But <laughs> <laughs> but, Joe, but but what happened was, like, that's a tough crowd to do. So I empathize with anyone in that position. He had the 10-day. Uh, he, he did it on short notice. I think he, he found out 10 days before he's doing this gig. And that is a high pressure gig. All mm -hmm. I, and 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 we know it's high pressure because we see the fallout from it not going well. And when Ricky Gervais does it, there's backlash and everyone's talking shit about him. But we know that it's funny because he fucking killed. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not that he killed in that room; he killed with us at home because oh, yeah. we know how how stuck up that room is. And when you get a comedian who's more of like a crowd pleaser type comic, who's more friendly and warm, like a Joe Coy typically is in the standup, um, you have a comic like that going up there with those people. When they bomb, they can't, it's not like they're doing jokes that are actually offensive. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, he just fucking ripped them and they're offended. It's like, oh, the jokes weren't good and no one was laughing. Yeah. And the jokes weren't that bad, but there's a couple softies in there. And it's, but it's reflected. If you can, if, if you're going to take these fuckers out, take them out. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to pander to them and you bomb, that's a bigger risk to me. Like it's way easier to say, to, to do the Ricky Gervais way, which is you just burn the place to the fucking ground and who gives a shit. Yeah. And, and you're Ricky Gervais isn't losing a wink of sleep over that. Whereas I'm sure Joe Coy's team is in damage control and trying to figure out how to spin this. But like the, for me, the only thing that I, that I problem I had with it was th how quickly he started blaming the writers for the jokes. You hired them. You told them you're the guy, take the hit. Yeah. You know, like that's, 
Don't fucking bury these guys. They work their ass off for you, you know? Like, come on. Be a fucking G. You've bombed before. Mm -hmm. um, and, and maybe he's just... It's been a long time since he's bombed because he does have a very supportive fan base. When your fans love you, all of a sudden you're not in the... I don't know how much he's working these open mics. Like, so you got to bomb to to know that you're to figure out how to make your shit good. You know, mm -hmm. so you got to you got to be. You, it's tough when they get to that level. I think so. I I don't want to judge too harshly, but you know, up there when he was on there, this is what I call. You know, you're bombing in stand up comedy when you have one bead of sweat roll right down the middle of your back down your ass crack that's <laughs> god letting you know you are bombing joe coy definitely felt the tear of the clown as i call it the tear of the clown <laughs> that so i've never done and, and I, up, listen i found the tear of the clown speaking to to know damn I call I've I felt the tear of the clown many a times, Joe. So I'm not judging you, buddy. <laughs> I I I really wish him the best. And uh, you know, there's some things that like obviously, you know, I didn't think his writers deserve that. But hey, it's a high it's a pressure cooker situation. And if you're in the moment, like you're grabbing onto any fucking life raft. Yeah. It's what you know when you see in a cartoon or movie where they're falling off a cliff and they grab for that fucking weakest branch <laughs> and you know they're going down that was like watching that whole set and Ooh. that you know it's happened to me mm -hmm. so i bombed in front of a group of the most i say the richest jewelers in canada all the, these rich jewelers and uh, they fucking hated me and <laughs> and i felt the tear of the clown and it was just I knew this isn't going good. And then at the end of the uh set, um I come walking off and there's this one guy that was loving the whole fucking show. I like that guy. He was into it. There you go. <laughs> he comes up and he's like, he goes, Man, that was actually really good. You should have seen last year. They made Rich Little's brother cry. And like Rich Little, if you don't know who he is, he's like this famous impressionist, right? But he's a Canadian. So that's probably why his brother's in doing com I never even knew he had a brother or that he hmm. did comedy. I've never heard of this guy. But Rich Little's like a famous, you know, like from like the old school days in Vegas and like probably around like the Rat Pack and all that shit. Hmm. <laughs> but they didn't get they're the richest dudes in Canada. They can't get is Rich Little dead? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he's still alive. They could have probably got Rich Little, but they're too cheap. They got his fucking brother, and then they booed him off stage and made him cry. So that's that's what they're telling me, and they're like pretty proud of it. Um, but they didn't make me cry. There you go. <laughs> God damn that. That uh, yeah, I couldn't imagine actually getting booed off stage. Like I've I've had really really dicey public speaking stuff. It's one of the things I love about this shit is that like there's people watching, but I can't see them. And yeah, yeah, at least not all in real time. You know, I can see the <laughs> shit you guys put in the comments, but it's definitely it's a whole different experience compared to actually like being on a stage looking at people. Um, but yeah, I I couldn't imagine actually having to just like turn around and walk away. That would actually break me. I think I have way too fragile. I, yeah, an ego I've never for that been. Shit. I've never been booed off stage before, but I've definitely been booed by 
like pockets of people that hate me. I mean, if you watch my stand-up special, it's on YouTube. It's it's called Too Soon. Mm-hmm. There's people in that crowd that hate my guts. I mean, I think I walked over 30 people during the recording of the special, but there was people that were pretty they're a little bit vocal and yeah, I noticed that um watching it, you were, you kind of had to win the room back from the beginning that you you came out strong on the like kind of dark dicey humor side and the room was not with it at the beginning and you kind of had to win them throughout the special it was they didn't know what it was yet (laughs) (laughs) it was it was kind of i don't know as as like just a viewer like a spectator it was kind of interesting to actually see that because i feel like uh like some comedians would just like re-record the special or something like that you know like they wouldn't most or yeah fair enough but or like i don't know i feel like you just don't see that kind of stuff very often it's rare for the comedian to actually show you booze on a special or something like that and really actually yeah. see that dynamic and get to watch you i don't know to me it was more more fun to watch you win a room over than it is to watch a room that already likes you just clap for you for an hour that's right it wasn't a bunch of trained seals at fucking sea world just right clapping for you yeah it was uh it was for sure there was i'd say i'd say like the split was like 60 percent were in my favor but there was a good 40 percent that didn't like me and then i walked a good portion of those people that didn't like me so then it (laughs) no i didn't really win them over it's just i walked the people that hated me (laughs) (laughs) the percentage swung back but um, no, it was yeah, it was definitely one of those things where when you record a special, um, and you're not like it's not with like a production company like this was just like straight up at a club. It was the Yuck Yucks Club in Toronto where hmm. I started. It was like kind of cool to do it there, and uh, it's like normally the Saturday early show is like the best show of the weekend. It's pure murder wall to wall, and. So you record Saturday because you get two shows. So that's like your least expensive, you know, you're going to get two cracks at it. And that's usually all you need. Mm -hmm. And Friday night is usually the crowd's a little bit more tired because they just got off work. Um, It's usually stuff like that, you know, and it's it's just not the same energy as a Saturday early show where they've got a little bit of rest and they're ready to go. It's, It's their big night out. Um, but Friday ended up being like the wall to wall kill and we weren't recording. Oh man. <laughs> the Saturday early show became that. And so we're like, I'm like, okay, at least I got the late show. And, but the security guards were like, so thrown off by what happened on that early show that they're just like reprimanding people on the way in the door for the late show. Don't fuck around. So they're just sitting on their hands. Like the late show was was shit mm. but we, but i i think there was like a couple bits that got interrupted on the early show that we like we didn't cut much like we used the early show for the i'd say 80 percent of what the special is but there's a couple bits that i really wanted on there um because when you do when when you do a special you can also make it a, an album and that album can play on sirius xm and that's a, you make good money on on the Sirius XM stuff. So I'm like, I, I really wanted this one bit because I'm like, I know it's gonna do great on Sirius. So this is gonna pay for the fucking special. <laughs> nice. And that's when this guy, this old guy, fucking interrupted on the early show. He's like yelling at me, and like it got heated. That didn't get in the special because it it was it was kind of an exchange that went nowhere. 
So the second part of the special was me regrouping and resetting what happened there. Um, but when you, if you watch to the end, and I, this is a spoiler alert, but I don't think anyone's going to give a shit. When you walk, but if you watch to the end, this is you got to watch for it. Uh, when I come off stage, the old man in the crowd that I had this like this in, you can see him in the sh- in the show. He fucking hates me the whole show. He's up, he's sitting front row. Mm. This old guy with glasses. When I come off stage, he starts yelling at me, like talking some shit. So I blow him a kiss, like a bad guy wrestler. Because <laughs> I'm like, this is gonna ignite this old prick. And I just keep walking. I don't even look back. I just keep walking. I go I go to the green room and, and have a beer and just chill because this is the first show. But my uh my my director of the special who was editing it, Tyler Shazma, he's when he was editing it, he sees at the end what happened and he goes holy shit the old man flipped you off so if you watch the very end of the special i blow the kiss to the old man like this bad guy like a heel wrestler and then he gives me the middle finger and we zoom in on the finger and freeze frame and that's how the special ends and i think that sort of sums up the entire experience of what <laughs> of what that night was <laughs> that's amazing so and then he wanted to fight me after but i wasn't you know, I'm not gonna rent an old man. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of respect. Right. God damn. I would have fucked him up though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't I don't wanna fight you, but if you make me fight you, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna lose to an old oh. man. That's the thing. I don't wanna fight an old Dude. man, but I wanna lose to an old man even less. It wasn't an old man where it's like you gotta watch him, he's got old man strength. Like I would have Don Zimmered this motherfucker. <laughs> just grab him by the head yeah it wouldn't have went went good <laughs> there's there's old there's old dudes who'll fuck me up but <laughs> right oh. not this guy it's not this old queef <laughs> so you already kind of answered my next question um because i was going to talk about the special next and ask uh where you did it and why but that um that answer is already pretty much there um, yeah, but yeah, definitely, guys, check out uh, "Too Soon." Came out December twenty third of twenty two. It's a great fucking show, by the way, dude. I laugh my fucking ass off. Thank you. It. I got a new special coming out. Uh, it should be coming out this month. Uh, yeah, it's called "Pimp Daddy." All right. And uh, we recorded it. We recorded it last year on New Year's Eve. It took a little while to like get the post production done. There's a little bit of bullshit on the on the back end but we got it ready to rock and it's uh i'm just putting together a like a promo trailer for it so once the trailer's done pimp daddy's gonna drop and uh i think it's a nice another nice uh um showcase of the type of comedy that i do it's this one's in a theater it's not it's not the same as too soon like the crowd um i think they like me (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't there wasn't the tension there wasn't the tension of too soon so, but it's it should be fun. And New then Year's I, I'm Eve gonna be doing an interesting choice to record the special. Was that just kind of out of convenience, or was there a reason behind that? Uh, you know what? It's an easy night I find to get people out. It's a night where people go out to comedy. Um, they're looking for something to do. It's usually like if you do the show early enough, it's like a a thing. They go, they grab dinner, go to a show, and then they go to their party after. It's it's a good. Uh, Makes for a good full night of uh, entertainment, and it, it was yeah, it's easy for us to to pull together. I shot it up here where I live in my hometown. Actually, there's a beautiful theater like a block away from me, and 
it, it just kind of worked out that uh, that we did it there. And yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, to people seeing. I, I tell a, a story from uh, from when I went to Skankfest in Las Vegas. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you the fucking story on here if you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll let's not ruin any of any of the special. Okay, okay. Want, uh, I'll have sure. you back on later. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I was actually supposed to be there this year. Um, I ended up not making it down there, but I'm uh, I'm definitely gonna be at Skankfest this year. That's like that's on on the priorities list. Yeah, I went. This was in 2022 when I went, but uh, it was great. Las Vegas is uh, the the way they have it set up is really cool. Like the the theaters are all in you know it's all in the same little complex, so it's just you walk from one one room to the other, and there's shows going on everywhere. It's a good hangout, and Lewis and, and his crew do a really good job putting putting that together. So hell yeah, I love it. I've been I've been trying to get Lewis on the show to talk about it. I've had uh, Dave Smith on a few times now, and we've talked. Oh, yeah. uh, I actually had him on just before Skankfest this year uh, to oh, cool. kind of like promote it and stuff. But I'm I'm badgering Lewis because <laughs> I'm like I want I want Lewis. I want the back end. I want to know how you actually oh, put this shit together uh, and like get into the nitty gritty stuff that only Lewis can answer. Uh, like, oh, you gotta get Lewis on. Yeah, he's a fucking menace. Also, he's just fucking <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, and uh, seems like a great guy. I love, I love Legion I, of Skanks. Like it's a great show. Yeah. Uh, and Dave and, and Jay, they're they're fucking gems. Oh yeah, I was I was one of the like I found I found Dave through politics and then found his uh his stand up stuff like years later. Okay. Uh, and so I like just started actually watching Legion of Skanks like this year. Uh, I like knew what it was kind of was like, oh, yeah, it's like a comedy podcast. So it seems interesting. But I was I'm way more into like the 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 more like this style or like a Joe Rogan where it's like more of like kind of all over the place interviews kind of thing. I don't watch the like same guests every week style shows, or at least I didn't. Uh, this year I kind of started watching uh, like that and like uh, Mark Norman and Joe List's show and like a couple of other podcasts like that. Um those guys are good. They're good dudes. I love those guys. Mark Norman is is like the top of my list of like comedians I want to meet in like in person. He seems so cool. Yeah, yeah he's uh, how to say it off stage. Like off stage, he's just as, like like he is on stage. Like he's a, he's just a really fun dude. He's yeah, I love Mark. He's a cool guy. I got to open for him a couple times um, in Toronto and and uh, yeah, just a gem. And and Joe List too. Joe List is one of the I mean, I think Joe's getting bigger and like a couple of those guys are really going to arenas. I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's wild to see. It's wild to see the the level of popularity that's starting to happen around some of these comics. It used to be that like, you know, only like a couple dudes are going to be doing arenas. I feel like there's going to be more. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there's going to be a bigger pool of of comics that make it to that next that next level, which is, you know, it's a rarefied air. Yeah. I mean, Schultz, Andrew Schultz is selling out Madison square garden twice. He just sold out in Toronto. Um, the Scotiabank arena back to back. It was insane. It was so cool. And, and so like, you know, Shane Gillis is going to be, he's going to be packing arenas if he isn't already starting to, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty great. The popularity that's happening around comedy right now. Yeah. I, I, 
I hate the concept of like uh like success or fame being like a finite resource that you like there's only so much that to go around mm-hmm. but I feel like when you when you close uh when you like narrow the search down to each individual uh like genre of fame it actually kind of does become that cuz there's only so many people that like comedy at a time to really like give that out or True. or like rock and roll you know there's only so much fan base there but you can that can change right and like that changed with rock and that's changing now with comedy of like that yeah that finite resource is just expanding huge right now up to where like you're saying like t- 20 30 years ago there was max like 10 people that could sell out arenas at, at once now you've got 30 40 comedians that are all almost at that level it's it's awesome there's, there's so many more ways to find them now i think whereas before it was like a very traditional way and there's only so many avenues right so you had to get on saturday night live or you had to be on the tonight show or those things to start getting the lift ticket to fame and then you know what you get into movies and stuff i guess i mean mm-hmm. how many guys how many guys were selling out arenas before they were movie stars. I mean, Dice Clay did it before he was a movie star. That's I think Steve Martin before he was a movie star. Maybe, maybe. maybe. No, I, I don't know. It was a. I don't know if he was in movies before he was like doing the doing the big arenas. I mean, he walked away from it because of the big arenas. I think. Mm-hmm. Murphy was all kind of in tandem with Saturday Night Live. But he was so young. It's like his is the most, I'd say, like the rarest case where like you're that young and that good. Yeah, fully formed out of the gate. It's it's pretty cool. But now to see like, yeah, there's there's just more opportunities to for these people to to find fans and for the comics to find fans. You can have a huge podcast, or you can be big on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's people we don't even know who the fuck they are and they're famous back then when someone was famous everyone knew them. yeah yeah there's is, only so many they it got is it wild to be. be able to like find a new comic that i've never heard of before and look them up on twitter and they've got two hundred and seventy-five thousand followers and it's like like think about how many people discovered joe coy this week <laughs> and we're just so excited mm-hmm <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's funny because you you mentioned snl as being like the one of the only launch pads <clears throat> now it's almost a dead end for a comedic career it's it's interesting I, i'd say it's i wouldn't say it's a dead end because people still care about it and like it's just that it's everything's so splintered now where that was the mecca now it's like that's still a good hub but there's guys that are getting bigger now because they don't have the handcuffs mm-hmm. i mean Shane Gillis is the prime example. He, I mean, it it also helped that he got canceled from Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and played it played it well on the other side of, um, like on like how he handled that dictated the helped dictate the course of his future because yeah. if he played it wrong, it might have hurt him more. I mean, for for a short period of time, like that's a that's a low, that's a real low thinking that you're gonna you know be on this comedy institution that you know you probably grew up watching and i mean you know he's a huge norm fan so Mm -hmm. all all those things um and for that to be taken away from you it hurts and it's in such a public setting and it's it's just a that's a lot to go through so so, but because he because he played it the way he did and he's so talented and, and super funny 
you know, now he's bigger than he probably would have been if he had have ran that race and didn't get, get cut off that show. So you see these guys that are, you know, doing it on their own terms without the um, restrictions that a network TV show puts on you. And it's a totally different race that you can run. Now, the guys that do that, they're popular. But at a certain stage, you're going to be, you know, you got to go into movies probably to, to be the next you know, and, and how many movie opportunities are there now? You're gonna be in a fucking Marvel movie now. You know? <laughs> right. Like or a remake of some horse shit. Uh like to get movie star like I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just so much different now. The landscape has changed. So uh, a guy who is on Saturday Night Live, now he's almost like he can't go and do what these other guys are doing with their podcasts and being free and, and building this uncensored fan base. Yeah. Because, you know, they're gonna, you're gonna lose that safety net. You gotta, well, the other, it's one lane or the other. You're either on the industry trough, and you're an industry darling, and you have to suck that tit, and you gotta be a good little boy, or you go off on your own on a fucking vision quest, mm. <laughs> and and the tribe won't fuck with you until you have the numbers, until you come back with like a huge kill, and then all. That's when, like, all the industry people change their tune. Once you have the numbers, mm-hmm. they're all so fake. They love money. Like, let's not bullshit it. Like, you know, if you – how, <laughs> like, Shane Gillis will probably end up hosting Saturday Night Live. Yep. And I was it'll just be a whole funny <laughs> thing. Remember when this happened? And mm-hmm. But he's going to get so big that, they, that he comes and does – like, when Norm got fired from Saturday Night Live, um, it'll be the same type of thing. And it's because um, – it's because numbers dictate money and they always cave to that shit. Oh yeah. yeah. The industry always caves to that. So Yeah, I'm not sure I'm not sure if this is like an industry thing or a consumer kind of influencing the industry thing, but I feel like the ne- this generation of whether it's comedians or comedy fans, I, I I'm not honestly sure which way it goes. Um, we're the we're like siloing comedians into one thing more often, and like kind of typecasting people. Where like the idea of somebody, somebody like an Adam Sandler coming up now, who is both a killer at sketch comedy and stand-up comedy, is kind of a weird thing to really think about. There's a few people. Uh, I, f- I feel like Weekend Update is like kind of the middle ground on SNL. So you've got like Che and yep. Jost right now. But to think of like um, Kenan Thompson just doing stand-up, just, just stand-up instead of like wearing some weird outfit and playing some weird character is kind of yeah. foreign. Uh, but it's, but Kenan Thompson came up as like an actor, right? Like he mm-hmm. was like a kid's a- actor, I believe. Like, wasn't he in Mighty Ducks and, and like... Oh shit! I forgot about that. Good Burger and shit like that. Like he mm-hmm. came up. For, he was like a like a, you know, I don't want to say child actor because he's a bit old. Like he was, you know, early teens, um, in the in those TV shows, and so he was already kind of a known dude. It's like when they brought in the Brat Pack to be on Saturday Night Live in like mm-hmm. the mid '80s. They had Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall, which is like so bizarre, really looking back on it to think. <laughs> Those dudes are on Saturday Night Live because, I mean, yeah, they're good actors, but, like, that's really all they are. They're not – most of those comedians on Saturday Night 
live have some sort of like basis in writing and acting, right? Mm-hmm. They create their own characters. Whereas like those guys, I feel like they were probably, you know, just regular actors. They're just really good actors. Um, but like Keenan Thompson, I always found, I don't know. I was, I never really, I don't know. I don't want his goons to beat the fuck out of me, <laughs> but uh, Keenan Thompson's never made me fucking laugh. I mean, he seems like a nice guy, but it's not my cup of tea. Good. Uh, fuck. What a great career. I wish I had that. But, uh, but yeah, yeah just it, it's to, but when we talk about stand up, he's, he wasn't a stand up, but mm. so like a, a, a comparison right now of the guys, a guy that does sketch and stand up, he got, uh Shane Gillis I mean he's doing his sketches actually the 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 combination of his sketches and his stand up they they went kind of at the same time cuz his sketches are so good mm-hmm. the Gillian Keeves ones and then Ryan Long do you know Ryan Long Yeah Ryan Long's one of my bu- buddies from Canada too and he's Ryan Long does the sketches and the sketches propelled him and now people are finding his stand up and he's you know he was it was but again it was in tandem like he had stand up running at the same time, because he was a stand-up first, and then the sketches help bring new eyeballs to it. I think, yeah. and uh, and so you see those guys. Um, Trevor Wallace does the sketch thing, and he has some fucking funny shit too. I mean, it's it's great yeah. when you see and that combo. But, but he's I think a good people example because like stand-up. That's that's definitely becoming true, especially with like TikTok and that kind of stuff. The the like Trevor Wallace types are are definitely. Um, but he's actually kind of a good example of like it exists, but it really threw me off the first time I watched like an actual stand up of his. I was like, huh, I didn't know you could be genuine <laughs> and like a real person and actually funny. I, th- <laughs> um, but I, I can't, I don't really know his stand up that well, but I think his sketches are funny as fuck. But I, I, I haven't watched much of his stand up to make a, a call on it. But yeah, I've just, I've watched like a clip or two. Actually, it was just like a few weeks ago. I saw him on a podcast and then like YouTube recommended like a clip of him. Uh, and it was just, it was just very weird to see him be himself after seeing him just be all of these and especially him because it's not. It's not like different characters with different names, like a like a Sandler yeah. or an SNL type thing. It's just him acting like the worst human possible constantly. <laughs> and, it, and so it's weird to kind of detach that from him and actually like listen to him have like a real opinion. Like I watched like a full hour and a half long podcast of him like talking like a real human. And it was just a very weird thing. Um, but yeah, I think Shane, Shane Gillis is definitely, uh, as I was saying what I was saying, he popped into my head again as like, uh, like you're wrong because Shane exists, but I still and, think and Tim Dillon, Tim Dillon does mm. funny fucking sketches too. Like Tim's, I mean, when, when great. Tim's a, Tim's a fucking maniac. Yeah. He's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that he, he just like. So he is, he shocks me every single time that I watch something of his because he'll either he'll either go further than I'm expecting or not as far as I'm expecting. He'll like pull back weirdly and like be <laughs> be super like not edgy for a joke that he could be edgy. And for some reason, that's almost funnier than him actually going all the way because it's like not him normally. And it's it's like a different type of shock comedy when you have a shock jock that's not doing it it's like it, yeah know, it's like reverse psychology um <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely like 
there's still people that are doing both, but I feel like just the and and why I prefaced it as probably like our fault as consumers more than actually the industry is like as people as more people become comedy fans, there's less fans of actual comedy and more fans of like just individual people and and what they've seen on like TikTok or whatever. And so they're kind of like, all right, you're a TikTok comic. You do crowd work. That's what I watch. And that's what I expect. And like, I've even seen plenty of like interviews with like Matt Reif and like those other, a couple of others who really got popular off of crowd work. They'll have shows where people are getting mad that they actually have written jokes that aren't crowd work. Yeah. It's uh, hard, right? Because I think the, the audience too, that they're, that they're reaching on these platforms are like very uneducated about what stand-up comedy is. And so when they see you doing crowd work, that that's like their introduction. You know, you're the gateway to stand up for them. And so they think that that's all this, this is right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really, you know, what, what's, what's Matt Reif getting? He's getting like teenagers and a bunch of broads. Like I, I'd like to take the time to thank Matt Rife because I think a lot of comedians, I see these little fucking dorks chirping Matt Rife. You can tell they're jealous because he's a little sexy boy with pouty lips and, <laughs> you, you know, he's pumping those full of fucking, I don't know what do you put in your collagen or estrogen. I don't know what the fuck <laughs> he's got in those things. But Matt Rife is actually a hero to stand-up comedy because the worst crowd uh, the worst audience members that you get typically are bachelorette parties this guy is a one-man fucking bachelorette party going around so he's the pied piper of bachelorette parties he's sucking them out of every fucking comedy club into his, his theater you take those fucking bachelorette parties maddie thank you so much we fucking salute you brother you are an american and canadian hero because I'm, I'm in canada you come to canada fucking get him out of my city you got him <laughs> man. every single miniature penis penis straw <laughs> like just take them all they're always getting fucked up and interrupting the shows i i feel bad for for what he actually has to endure though because i mean listen he this guy's a funny comic and he's he has the um the skill set he's been doing it a long time he's a pro mm -hmm. and he's it, listen how many people are as good at crowd work as, as rife not many man he's he's up there he's it's so so rightfully so he's gonna pop with that shit but he's got material and uh and he does his thing but like he now he has to navigate this fucking this beast that he created yeah which is you know it's it's a blessing and a curse you know what i mean like to, to be able to make that much money and sell that many tickets, but also you have this this untrained audience of comedy fans, whereas you see like uh, you know people who traditionally have traditional stand up comics that have a huge fan base that they get comedy like Norman's fans are that's a normal fucking audience you yeah. know like they get what comedy is, but there's these there are right now there's this this whole new because comedy's gotten so much bigger I think because of these platforms mm -hmm. you're getting these people who have never been to a comedy show before and you're the first one that they go to mm -hmm. you know like when you go to an andrew schultz show I, there's a lot of people it's their first time ever seeing stand-up comedy i think it's so cool though that we're getting these people out to the shows but you know the yeah what they see online it might be a little different you know because it's you're only getting a snippet of it online yeah 
that's only one moment in a show and and to get attention online you got to take that one weird moment and put it out there right like that that one moment of an hour where something odd happened that's what people are going to click on yeah they're not going to you know maybe watch something that's like how would i put it um just just a stand up bit I mean, there's a million stand-up bits out there. What's going to make them click that? But if it's like, you know, yeah. some old lady got fucking hammered and that <laughs> rife ripped her and called her a gilf, <laughs> like that's, right. these idiots are clicking it. <laughs> Plus, that's the only stuff that you can really post consistently and keep, like, to play the TikTok game and post as often as you have to post. Oh, you dude. need to do you need to do crowd work. Otherwise you're going to ruin your specials and ruin your shows. Yeah. If you're not a writing machine where you're just coming up with material, material, material that you can burn like disposable. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you could technically every week, write, You know, a couple minutes of current event shit and do it at the live show, record it and put it out. But that's still hard. Like that's taxing and you don't know if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the crowd work stuff is definitely the way to to keep that fresh content train rolling without burning what you're going to put on a special, especially the guys like Rife and and uh, you know Norman, like all those dudes that are getting Netflix deals. That's big money. Yeah, like this, your material is worth something. Mm-hmm. So you know that's why we that's why comics hate when people are filming it and putting it on YouTube. You're this is my money. Don't fuck with my money. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think like. Uh, Normand, I've seen um, post uh, like and and uh, like I said, he's like my favorite comic. So this is not me shitting on him at all. Easy, I'm but right like, here, um, right here, my. <laughs> but like, I've I've definitely seen a bunch of clips of Mark Norman where he's telling the same joke over and over again, just like slightly differently because it's at a different show, yep. but it's still the same punchline like six or seven clips in a row because i've seen like every piece of content that he's ever posted on the internet so i've uh, like i'm I'm a little bit of a super fan so i think that that's a little bit of an exception by itself like if you only see one clip or the other like it's not a big deal but i'm watching every single thing he posts so it's like you know i'm i'm listening to the same punchline six or seven different ways it's always kind of interesting because it's never the same delivery. It's never the same actual joke. It, but it's like it's the same setup, same punchline, but the middle is always a little bit different. Uh, and I kind of find that interesting. But it, if every comic was doing that, and that's just what TikTok was, was like you were you were seeing the same joke every other day. That would get really old really quick. Oh, for sure. I mean, and, and a guy like Norman, who you know, you're gonna have super fans. And they're and, and comics like us, like we're blessed to have super fans that like actually give a fuck and watch all of our shit. But you know, you put out that a couple of different sets and you got the same joke in it. Really, you're just trying to acquire new people. Like, not everyone, someone might watch this one that's never seen you and become a fan and watch that. The other one, someone could watch the other one and become a fan. So you're just hooking new people in. It, it really is like a certain point about fan acquisition and not appeasing just your old fans Mm -hmm. because you know a guy like that's pretty prolific and and just in general but but yeah it's not everyone you don't expect everyone to be watching everything but you do when you put out a special you could put a special and like do a whole bunch of old jokes on it and get away with it like that's kind of 
mm-hmm. you know, cheating a little bit. You could, you could, you could still, you could repeat a joke from another thing or whatever, but it's out there. But you know, ultimately, you want it to be overall a pretty new product. Yeah, I remember so, like old old school uh, kind of era of you know where it was just like Tonight Show and that kind of stuff. There was definitely a big like thing about not burning material on those shows and whatnot and um and you know trying to like yeah. come up with new material that or trying out new material at something like that and um well yeah i'll give you an example of that um and and, and not like the tonight show like performing on it but look, look at a jay leno jay leno has been one of the best considered one of the best stand-up comics by a lot of comedians and and you know i have no reason to say that he's not i mean listen what you saw him doing on the tonight show that's all disposable you know current event jokes that are written by writers and him um every night and he's got to do the show and he he did it well but his stand-up act he's never put out a fucking special he still has this these jokes that are still fucking funny today. I bet you he's still doing a lot of the same shit that he did back in the day in these casinos and still murdering. Like when he goes and does live stand up, he still does like a ton of live stand up apparently. Hmm. Um and that's that's a guy like a, a good example of like he, he never burnt his his A game, but he'd go and do it anywhere and, and kill with like this timeless material for the crowd that comes out to see him, you know, that's this a, evergreen material. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting way to do it because I feel like there's there's not a whole lot of people that could pull that off. Uh, yeah, it's weird to be in that type of public eye, but he he benefited from from being able to do that show with you know and having a team of writers and and just doing disposable current event stuff that he's always relevant, and then he just kept his is like stand-up act, like very, you know, private other to outside of um, the live audiences. But that's a product of the old model for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, for for someone like myself, what I try and do, and, and I don't know how many comics think like that. Like a lot of comics, they say, I got this material. I got to get it out now on this special because it's not going to be relevant next year. But what I try and do is do a more evergreen special so the material's funny multiple years from now. And then I'll do like my more current event stuff for online stuff and like mm-hmm. promo and, you know, just kind of hyping myself up, like trying to get new fans online and shit. So if I have a current event bit that I think is like hot and it's like the time to do it, I'll record it, put it on social media and just let it, I'll burn it that way. Whereas I'll save my evergreen stuff for when I do a special. That way my special is funny three, four years from now. Like the special too soon that you watch, mm-hmm. it's actually from 2020 is when I shot it. Oh, wow. So it holds up today. There's very little that would let you know that it was actually from then. Yeah. Uh, it, it's still super relevant. And, and Pimp Daddy is very much like that too. There's only a couple things I think on Pimp Daddy. I think I do say it's 2023. Um, I, I, there's a couple things where I let on, but the the material I tried to make sure that it's evergreen. I want it to be funny for years to come. 
when I make a special, I want that to like stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And I do think there is like an importance though, to being relevant and like, you know, being the voice of what's happening right now. But at the same end, like if, if that's, um, if that's super crucial, I'll put it out maybe as like a special piece. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Like I have a thing that I'm putting out, out um, on my Patreon. I'm do- I have a 20 minute set that I just shot. That's like a mini special. I'm putting that on my Patreon. It's coming out probably next month too. So it's just like um, extra content that people can see, but it's more about what's going on right now. A lot of stuff about Israel, Palestine. Mm. Ooh, fun. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit loaded, uh, <laughs> but you know, I got jokes. So. <laughs> so what do you, what do you think of the opinion? I've, I've heard, I've heard this online. I've kind of seen it a little bit subjectively that, that stand up is getting too like preachy and, and it's turning more into public speaking than actual stand up comedy. Okay. What's the context of that? Like, who are they? Like, is there anyone that they're referencing specifically? I feel like a, preaching? a good example, it's th- and this is just me, like, subjectively saying, and I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of his, but I think, like, Chappelle's newest special that just came oh, out Chappelle. was kind of, uh, was definitely in that in that realm uh and the one before it uh yeah he just dropped one like last week i think like like yeah well i watched it um and i mean like like there's a big chunk of it's just like him kind of like telling stories about uh like him and chris rock and there's there's like very long breaks between actual laughs uh throughout the special and i feel like he's not alone in that but that one's maybe like the better example so we're talking about a guy who how to explain my thoughts on this. So Dave Chappelle is when he like he started early. He's a, a very young comic when he started. I think he was like 16 mm-hmm. when he started. So by the time he hit he was pre, like he's not much older. Than, he's like 10 years older than me, which is seems crazy mm-hmm. because he's been so big for so long. Like my whole career he's been the big the big thing you know yeah but when Chappelle's show was the biggest show in the world and kill him softly and what's the other one the other one before or is it, i don't know if it's before that or right after um go for what it's worth maybe i don't know i forget what it was not for what it's worth but those specials his first two not counting the the hbo 30 minute i don't think but anyway he he had like He's running a pretty perfect race. Mm-hmm. We're talking all timer, all timer specials. Then he leaves the show, goes to Africa, and it's this really weird thing where people don't understand it, and it's 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 the water's murky. Mm-hmm. I get to see Chappelle come back from Africa and do stand up. He did a couple like couple a couple of his first shows were in Toronto. I got to be there and watch him do it. It's the greatest stand-up show I've ever seen in my life. Chappelle in his like, I don't want to say in his prime, but in like the at the height of Chappelle fever. Mm-hmm. It's the where it's the thing where he's like the cultural zeitgeist is this is Dave Chappelle's the guy. And coming back from Africa and no one knows what's going on, he talks about it. And you know, he talks about, you know. 
someone take was it was it sixty million dollars? Sixty million he walked away from, or seventy million? Yeah. You stack up. Someone imagine someone stacks up, you know, sixty million dollars, and says you want sixty million dollars. You'd be like, yeah, but then they take out their cock and put it on top of that sixty million dollars and say, well, then start sucking. Would you suck that dick? No, fuck that. Like that's the type of. That's what he's basically saying happened, and he, and so like the crowd, the crowd was going insane, and he was he was just so good and so fucking funny that you know that this is a guy who's dealing with some personal. He's struggling like with some like with who he is to the audience and 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 what he represents to his culture, mm-hmm. and I I really feel like the the tough thing is that he he feels a, a stronger um, sense of who he, he, I think he grasps or sorry, he grapples with who he needs to be to his, to his people also. Mm-hmm. Should, does he, does he, is he a spokesperson or is he a fucking comic? Cause he's the funniest fucking comic alive, but he also, you know, is very, very intelligent and has a lot of important cultural things to say. And he sometimes does it through comedy and sometimes the message becomes a little bit bigger than the than the actual stand up mm-hmm. and so that becomes a little bit murky when he you know comes back and and things start to change with the the landscape of stand up comedy over that period of time that's when shit started getting woke the time that he was like not there mm-hmm. when he was gone that's when like i started feeling the pushback to his stand up comedy was around 2012, 2013. That's when it really started. Like everyone started being real gay about stand up. <laughs> everyone in the crowd just like they're it's like they're afraid that if they laugh, they're gonna lose their job too. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then you you know they come in guarded, you have to break their guard. When Chappelle came back, this was this had been going on a while and he and he was kind of like, fuck this. Cause he's old school and He's the man. So it's like, I, I do feel like he felt like he had a responsibility to comedy and to the comedy fans to be um, the guy that just says, fuck all this. Like, and, and he, and he, and he is. Yeah. And he did it. And and he came back and he, he makes the point. If you listen to what he says, I think it's on the age of spin. The first special that he came back, this might be the last time that we're allowed to talk reckless. So I'm going to do it. Mm. And I think he felt that, that that's what was going on. And so like Chappelle talking reckless is for all of us yeah, because he's the one who can face down these people who got their pitchforks out. And and I know people say cancel culture isn't real and all this. That's bullshit. Cause you all, all you little fucking pussies are on social media going, cancel this person the second. Like, so shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. You're a fucking liar. Okay. You want Dave Chappelle fucking canceled. Like cancel culture is you trying to fucking cancel Dave Chappelle. So it's like just because you fucking failed at it <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean that the culture doesn't exist of these fucking dweebs that just try and you know censor people and shut them up. Like just because he because he has a different opinion than you. And do I think that Dave Chappelle's material about trans people is fucking wonderful? Actually, I think it's kind of like his some of it's his weaker stuff. There's some funny shit there too. Uh, I think Dave Chappelle does have better material. I think he got maybe a little more hung up on that because he's not, maybe not used to that type of pushback mm-hmm. because Dave Chappelle 
everyone fucking loves Dave Chappelle. He's fucking hilarious. Um, not too many people before that were like saying this guy fucking sucks. And these the, now you have a, a much more amplified voice criticizing you. And, and maybe that's something new. But Dave Chappelle is funnier than you mm-hmm. and funnier than almost any comedian on the fucking planet. Oh, yeah. Arguably the best of all time. Uh, and he he ran the race that he did, I think, for other comics because he didn't want to see other comics get shut down. And, and he knew that they weren't going to take away what he had. And it's a lot harder. I, I don't think people understand. When, when, when these people talk about cancel culture and comedians and, and like, oh, well, you know, who lost their job? It's not that. It's the comics coming up in the fucking clubs who are getting they get how do they get um they get silenced they get sidelined they it's real easy to dismiss a comic that isn't famous yeah. or like a newer comic that want the next Chappelle's won't fucking happen if this type of shit keeps being allowed to spread like a cancer yeah because i, I see i see the like the open mics when when there's when there's um censorship at the top and little cookies given out to people for being woke and being little weenies. When they see that, the gatekeepers at every level start mimicking that. Mm. So it's like if there's a comic that's coming out being reckless at an open mic, talking reckless, as Chappelle said in his special, that guy's not getting booked next week at the fucking open mic. He's not getting a spot. Yeah, They try and... they, they Because these people at this gatekeeper level are trying to impress the people at this gatekeeper level because mm-hmm. they want to be at that level. Yeah. So there, there is this thing that's happening at these, at the clubs, you ask any comic who does dark, dirty comedy in a small city, ask them how fucking fun it is. Cause mm-hmm. it's not fun. I, I get messages from, from, I get messages from these comics all the time. Like, what do I do? And it's because they, they just, the little clicks get together and they don't like that guy, but that guy's killing with the crowd. Usually. I mean, there's, there's edgelords that suck. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not, let's not pretend that there isn't like a whole bunch of. Yeah. Like Dave Smith exists. You know? yeah, <laughs> but, but like, let's not pretend there's a whole bunch of like, like prima Donna or like, you're not prima Donna. So let's not pretend there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's not a whole bunch of wannabe um, edgy comics that like say, edgy shit just because they think it's funny and they suck and they, and they are offensive because they're not good at it like that yeah. that happens but there are good comics they're, they're like you can tell the intent you can tell the intent if if they're trying to write a joke if there's a structure behind it but these dudes get silenced in these small cities mm-hmm. it's hard i'm like you got to move to the bigger city because there's a more of there's more room for you there's there's a room for everyone there but you know you go to uh in canada you know, you go to Vancouver was a tough one for a bit. I think it's getting a little bit better, but Vancouver was very, very left-leaning PC, mm. and any edgy comic in Vancouver really did get, you know, kind of ostracized. And and I, I think it's happening a little bit um, in Halifax too. I'll fuck, I'll say it. Like we got, if you're in a small city, be more open-minded. If you're a comic, like listen. I don't give a fuck if you're an alt comic and you do, you know, wacky, goofy shit. Like, I, like there's room for everyone in this race. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has a different style, but I do think that edgy comics do get 
kind of the, the people back away from them a bit and, and in a small scene when you get backed away from it you feel it a lot more yeah so I, I think that like that's where cancel culture the the ripple effect of it gets da- you know not dangerous but to become good at that type of shit to become what what dave Chappelle is you have to be able to take risks and fail understand where the line is and then how do i come back and not cross the line how do i play on that line that and be funny still because yeah. if you know ultimately if you're a good comic or want to be a good comic you want to get the laugh it's not about shocking them it's about getting the laugh mm-hmm. and shocking is just one little tool but like if you can if you, you know you're gonna have to cross the line then you come okay this is this is this will be funnier this is how i get get the laugh and and if you can't do that if you don't have that room to breathe and and grow and that supportive like network on the open mic level, like open mic, you can't fail with an open mic. You're getting canceled there. Like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, no one became a sniper without being a loose cannon first. And that's, that's it. And then, and then after that, when you become a sniper, that's when you get to fucking be a loose cannon again. Mm. That's what Chappelle's in his loose cannon again stage. And that's what we're seeing. And and we're very, very fortunate as comedy fans to get to see the body of work that Chappelle's put out over the last six years. I mean, we didn't get anything for a long time. And now this guy, this guy's so prolific. He's putting out so much stuff. But maybe there's some stuff that's like a little bit, you know, it's it's a little bit more underdeveloped then you know you can tell when he puts out a perfect special mm-hmm. i thought the age of spin was perfect i thought there, he had like there's probably three perfect specials out of like six or seven you know like, like and then the other ones are good still there's maybe a couple that aren't my favorite yeah but there's good stuff in all of them um we're we're lucky kind of that we got to see like the warts and all of Chappelle's body of, of work because this is a, a fucking master at comedy. So yeah, but the, the the new one that that Norm Macdonald bit that he does at the start, mm-hmm. uh, where he talks about Jim Carrey and Man of the Moon, that's a that, that's a magnificent piece of uh, it's masterful comedy. Watch it, but then go back and watch it again, and see how what he says and what he like his setup. Watch his setup and what fucking he says to like almost like trick you but also set up that joke it's beautiful it's it's unbelievable yeah he is he is definitely the goat for sure uh and, and will sorry i went off on a, a whole oh, tirade good. there but i've been thinking about this <laughs> i've been good. thinking about this thing. i'm a huge fan and uh and and again it's um it's cool to me to uh, to see a guy put it put him put himself out there like that like Chappelle could have hoarded that material and only done you know, perfect little specials. He kind of just said, fuck it and just let it fly. Yeah. For all of us. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm definitely, uh, I definitely agree with what you're saying about like the, the cancel culture, even, even if the person that's attempted to be canceled, it doesn't work. It still has like a ripple effect down. And there's kind of that, like, uh, there's guilt by association attached to getting canceled now. So like the clubs have to genuinely be worried because if, if they put somebody up on an open mic night that then gets, you know, canceled, 
it's especially on an open mic night it's most likely going to be the club that's actually getting the brunt of that because nobody knows who the fuck that you can't cancel somebody who's only got 200 followers on twitter it just doesn't really work so the mob will go after the club that's got at least a couple thousand and uh, like why the you, fuck you should would see you the yelp review up there you should see yuck yucks yelp reviews from time <laughs> Come on. There we hey. go. All right. Yeah, All we're right. back. Someone tried to cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fucking it's NSA. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I um I de- there's definitely uh like we we're saying that that like ripple effect. Uh, down into the lower levels of things and that that's that's kind of across the board that's not just a comedy thing uh where it's just you know the more you say this person up here can't do that thing the people who are trying to become that person are going to get discouraged yeah yeah i remember it was like when i first started it was um when you do some like you do like an edgy bit or whatever and people the 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 mindset was well you're not chris rock chris rock can do that because he's great at it but you can't say how the fuck did chris rock get great at that Mm -hmm. because at one point he was like me and he was taking a risk and trying and you know these people are all in the business of no risk but they want all the reward but the comics are all in the business of risk and that's how we become good at what we do. And 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 when the audience can appreciate the risk that we take, mm-hmm. that's when you get really, you know, kind of knighted as a, as a comic. When when the fans on a larger level start to understand, hey, this guy's going to the wall for us here, saying some wild shit and entertaining us, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, willing willing to fucking put yourself out there and and go and and say what whatever it takes to to get the laugh. Um, that's, that should count for something. But yeah, these for younger comics, that I th- I feel like they've felt the um, they felt the brunt of the PC movement and the cancel culture movement, especially. I mean, like I can only really speak for the cities that I've like performed in a lot. So when I talk about Vancouver, I just know I've I've been to Vancouver. I love a bunch of comics there. But I've been there, and and I, and I know what a lot of the comics that also live there went through. And uh, in Toronto, I, I saw it happening. There was a black cloud hanging over Toronto for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got very PC there, and it was you know we were holding it down uh, during those dark years. But you know, got there's there's uh, you know a handful of comics that really didn't give a fuck. I mean, I I don't I'm fortunate. I don't live in the city. I don't have to be around the politics and being shunned for doing an act that these people don't align with politically. I get to come in, do my show, kill with the crowd and fuck off. Mm -hmm. Right. But you see, but you would see these comics. It's like, Oh, you used to kind of be a little bit edgy and funny when you started, but now you're going for these little polite golf claps, say reading from the, the Toronto comedy handbook 
mm-hmm. of what you're supposed to say. And it's like, oh, this is really interesting. Like, what the fuck is going on? Everyone turned into the Stepford Wives in comedy. And it's like, that's not what this is about. I guarantee you, if you ask every comedian what they got when they first started comedy, young comedians, what did you get into comedy for? So you go and say whatever the fuck you want on stage and make your friends laugh. Well, guess what? None of your fucking friends are laughing right now, and you're not saying what you wish you could say. You're afraid that you might lose this or might lose that. Go back to why wh- why you wanted to get in this, and that's what's going to connect with the audiences. And that's how I feel, because the audiences should be like your friends. You know? Yeah. I, f- I feel like uh, a big chunk of what comedy is to people is like the that person saying what I'm thinking yeah and making it funny uh and getting away with it you know that i i feel like obviously this isn't true of every comedy fan or every comedian but i feel like a big like crux of the thing is that like idea of like bringing your wife to a show and then getting to be like see see when he's making a bunch of like fucking anti-woman jokes you know like go take her to a bill burr show and be like see i could be this guy i could scream at you like this or i could like uh you know just be just be me and like take you to a bill burr show um i i feel like there's there's always just like that little bit and you know there's the like the there's always been like the kind of like racial stereotype jokes that are a kind of a crux of comedy and like they're kind of the only people that for a long time if you weren't on stage with a microphone you couldn't say shit like that but if you're on stage with a microphone you can still say that like chinese people are bad drivers and get a laugh out of it because you said it in a funny way and that it's somehow okay but like you know you're not allowed to say that just like out and about amongst your friends anymore yeah well you definitely have to make that originally like you have to make it an original joke and structure it Uh, like there's guys that come out and like try that shit and bomb too right so if you you know, and there isn't carte blanche to do that in comedy. It's just you. It has to be funny, and and so no matter what the, yeah, you can definitely make a stereotype funny. You just have to be good at it, and mm-hmm. and, and there's still going to be people be people that hate it, but you have to be willing to try. I think you're more protected as long as there's it's it's a as long as there's a clear attempt for it to be like you can tell the intention was that this is to be funny let alone that this is in the context and form of a stand-up comedy show. Yeah. You know, you can tell when someone's just being racist. Like when Michael Richards snapped, you know that he's not trying to be funny anymore. His intention is like pure mm-hmm. hurt someone because of, and, and by, by using racism as the vehicle to hurt them. Whereas, you know, they're comedians that do jokes that are racial that like some people will say that they're racist, but they're probably more racial is the word I would say. Yeah. Um, and and you just have to look at the context and and understand, you know, the difference between a performance and real life. And and I think there is, uh, as long as the intent is to be funny, you know, jokes can live and die, but the intent should always be protected. Yeah. You know, we should you should always be able to to try. Mm-hmm. Try to be funny, and and Patrice O'Neill said 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 it well. Is that like all jokes are born from the same place? You know, th- this joke might be super offensive, but 
you know, it was, it came from a place of trying to make you laugh. The intention was to be funny. So, yeah. so as the intentions to be funny, I don't see, I don't think anything should be censored, but it's, it is up to the audience and each audience is different. And, you know, that's totally their right to not like it and not laugh. And yeah, you can have a fucking problem with it, but to try and take someone's livelihood, that's, that's some weak ass shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. And yeah, I think like, you have to you have to give comics like a little bit of of like some breathing room on that because I think like when when the whole like woke PC shit like really started cracking down, it really became any sort of vocalizing pattern recognition was bad because you're if you if if it has anything to do with a group of people whether it's like you know you could say like guys with beards are mean or something you know like so any any type of thing is uh even if it's not like one of the protected groups especially in like the early 2010s there was kind of that crackdown on on all of it like you can't you can't say anything about any specific group of of people which kind yep. of like you can't do comedy without doing that you you have to pattern recognize segregate a little bit and make it make a joke it's very difficult to not talk about like the difference between men and women or different races or something and actually still have a full act i'll say this is it's like this when you come into a comedy club it's almost like there's like this unwritten agreement that everything is on the table to be made fun of and making fun of everyone's differences is what unites us and brings us together. So if you take your thing that you are and you make it off limits, pretty much you're rejecting the group that's come in and this is what the experience is, right? So mm-hmm. you're rejecting that automatically if you're off limits and you're saying you're better than everyone else in there. You're you're more sacred than them and that's not true. So for comedians to not make fun of that is actually to me, um, you know, to avoid making a trans joke if there's a trans person or if there's a person in a wheelchair to, to like, to like ignore those people and not, it's, and that's the comedian not being inclusive. Mm-hmm. And for the people, for someone to think that I'm this, you can't make fun of this. I'm off limits. That's you not being inclusive. And the idea of a comedy club is, everyone getting together to you know celebrate our differences through laughter and making fun of it and and you know ultimately um what's the point if you can't fucking laugh at yourself you're going to be a pretty miserable cunt <laughs> and how would you you know you go through life like that that fucking sucks yeah that would suck and yes there are marginalized groups and they do have it harder than other people and and we we recognize that and 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 it's like but we can joke about that like we you don't think the comedian understands them in comedy as well like but but already marginalized everywhere else like but do you think that the comedian doesn't understand that there's like that dynamic like that that exists like the comedian's probably playing off of that yeah um but it's not to hurt you it's to make everyone like laugh at how overall you know we treat this whole situation i mean listen everyone should be fucking equal and if they are in real life when you come into the comedy club to me that's the place that you are yeah. if it's my show i think of you as an equal because you paid the same fucking amount of money as all the other suckers to see me 
yeah, I'm I'm of the opinion that there's nothing but more really. like ableist or racist or sexist or whatever ist than to say that X group of people can't handle being made fun of. Yeah, that's like, that's the most arrogant thing to speak on behalf of a group of other people that don't fucking that didn't ask you to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not a lawyer. Right. Like uh I think uh Matt Rife has a really good bit in I don't think it was his last special. It was you lost me there. <laughs> Just kidding. You lost me there on the Matt Rife had a really good bit. <laughs> uh but he yeah, I'm kidding. He, he did a actually I love Matt Rife. It, kind of a uh a bit that plays into my question about like preachy comedy, but um yeah. he, he goes on this whole thing about like uh making jokes about people with disabilities. Um, and like what one of the punchlines is like, hey, don't don't boo. They can stand up for themselves. Um, like, you know, uh, people in wheelchairs can stand up for themselves. And um, <laughs> I but he he's you can see there's a bunch of these comics out there that make an intention of doing. Uh, you know, there's like the couple of uh, of comics with like Tourette's that like make kind of a big deal about it. And then you see like a bunch of people with Tourette's are going to their shows and now going to like other comedy shows. And like there's, that there's they, a huge. Is that the, sorry. The Tourette's. Is that the fuck ass comedy tour? <laughs> oh, or is that the shit fuck comedy tour? <laughs> I love those guys. Great. Uh, that would be great to just do like an entire show that's just com- comics with Tourette's. It's just like the most awful. That would be great. Shit. I mean, I'd fucking jack <laughs> off to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the like the those marginalized groups for the most part come out super fucking loud in defense of any comic that's being canceled like even Chappelle had just a gigantic wave of trans support when oh, did he, he I was never saw first that. getting I like I mean I, I, it definitely like out counter it, like the the negative outweighed the positive on that one but there's been yeah. there uh, there's been plenty of other examples of people who are like trying, people are trying to cancel someone for making like a wheelchair joke or a, a yeah. racial joke or something like that. And it's like, no, you can, you can make fun of us. <laughs> like people haven't been I making feel like Asian cool jokes. Trans in a while. people this never nice. get interviewed. There's some cool, there's some right. cool fucking trans people that i met they never get the fucking interview <laughs> yeah i've had a few on the show that uh, i like to think are pretty pretty cool but the the i mean it's the the squeakiest uh wheel gets the grease kind of a thing of like you know the it's the you shitty... talking are you being ableist <laughs> <laughs> it's the the shitty most obnoxious people that are whining the most that are the ones that oh, get people the, in wheelchairs the, greasy <laughs> <laughs> Cancel this, man. Oh, my God. Uh, so before I let you go, uh, tell people where they can find uh, Too Soon, where they can find the next one coming out, uh, where they can get tickets to your shows. Yeah, yeah. So you can check out Too Soon. It's on YouTube. Tyler Morrison, Too Soon. It's a full special. It's available there. And uh, I also have like a like a mini special on there. It's called Burn the Village. So you can check that out, too. But YouTube, go over there, subscribe, leave me a comment, tell me I'm a piece of shit, whatever you guys say. <laughs> and then if you really like my stand-up, then you can go and it, you can get all my stand-up specials. I have about, I think, six on uh, my Patreon, patreon.com slash Tyler Morrison. I'm putting out new content all the time, but also from like my archives of, of comedy and roasts I've been on 
a bunch of different um, celebrity roast, roast of Ron Jeremy, roast of Ric Flair, all these different uh, things. So I try and, and keep that um, populated with a lot of new stuff. My new special, Pimp Daddy, that's coming out this month. I'm putting that out on YouTube. You can get early access to it, though, on uh, the Patreon. That's You'll, you'll get to see that before uh, it hits YouTube if you, if you subscribe to the Patreon. And uh, yeah, I, you know, follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all that shit. Um, I guess it's called X now, which is a little gay. But uh... <laughs> yeah, I refuse to call it that. <laughs> I we'll never. I gotta call it Twitter. I mean, yeah. So, but yeah, I'm on. I'm on all the social media. But yeah, definitely hit up my my uh, my my YouTube channel and uh, my website, TylerMorrison.ca. We'll have all my tour dates uh, that are coming up in uh, 2024. They're going to be uh, coming out soon. Uh, mostly Canadian stuff right now, but I will be trying to get to America. We're working on it. We're uh, we're just oh, yeah. figuring out where where I'm hitting. So hell yeah. Guys, you heard him. Go click all the links uh, in the description. Follow him on all the socials. His uh, his website and his YouTube should also both be in there. Definitely go go check out those. Uh, too too soon uh, was fucking great. Uh, cannot cannot suggest that one enough. Uh, but before you click any of those, make sure to click the like button uh, at the bottom of this video and share it to a bunch of people. Tell them you found a great comic that you want to tell them about and make them watch this first. Uh, I don't know why this isn't as funny as the stand-up specials, but I'd, I'd appreciate the views. <laughs> so s- send them here. Um, and then definitely come on back. Uh, next week we have my good friend Stacia Wilson coming back on the show to talk about her new project, Curio. Um, and then Heidi Brion's after that, followed by Spike Cohen. Uh, so it's going to be a good month here uh, on the show. So definitely click that subscribe button so you make sure that you don't miss a single episode. And um, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on. This was absolutely fantastic, dude. You're fucking hilarious. Hey, no, I appreciate you having me on. And I'll say this: you, you brought up Chappelle and the and the preachy stuff, and then I feel like I got really preachy about that. That was kind of weak. <laughs> that was I like, bullshit. <laughs> I I feel, I feel like I I definitely touched a nerve there. But like, I'm I'm a huge I'm a huge Chappelle fan. I just um, I, I feel be like passionate. <laughs> I feel like there's there's like this um kind of danger zone uh in my head of where like carlin went late in his career of like i personally as like a hardcore libertarian anarchist political activist love carlin's late stuff because he was preaching my shit but it really got unfunny towards the end and it just there was like six laughs in an entire hour special and so in my head i'm like watching a bunch of my favorite comics as they like go towards that and i'm like please don't do that please find a way to come back and still be funny which may, it might be just super yeah. selfish on my part that like i want them to continue making the content that i like instead of evolving as a person uh you know what it is you know what it is is at a certain stage when you get famous i think that like it becomes a situation where you come where it's like you're you're addressing the people from the mountaintop when you should just be a man of the people mm-hmm. being a man of the people is what got you to the fucking mountaintop right not being able to differentiate between talking down to them like and talking for them mm-hmm. that's the that's the fine line and is really easy to lose and uh and and i think that you know 
it gets murky at a certain level so it's yeah. hard to hard to manage right but yeah at risk of sounding like a huge hipster i it's something that i i have a problem with in music too where it's like i love a band because they write a bunch of super relatable stuff and then they become famous and now they're doing like an arena tour and it's like you don't have any idea what my life is like. Like when we were both in college and you were writing songs about college and getting yep. 10,000 listens, uh, you know, we could relate because you were not famous. Like what It's like I any relationship. Like? You sometimes outgrow e each other, right? Like yeah. It's going different directions. And, and, and that's what happens. You know, these guys get a bunch of fucking money and they're, you know, driving around in fucking Lamborghinis getting blowjobs. <laughs> Where's my fucking Lambo, dude? <laughs> right. Where's my fucking blowjob? <laughs> oh, Getting man. Well, with that... Sucked off in a Corolla. <laughs> <laughs> that is... Hey, I mean, at least at least you have a Toyota Corolla. That was, that's a decent car. I've had much shittier, you know? <laughs> you didn't ask who was sucking me off. <laughs> it was Mark Norman. Yeah, we all, we all already know. <laughs> all right with that tyler thanks again for coming on guys thanks so much for watching we'll catch you back here next time until then keep up the fight hey thank you <laughs>